0: Thank you all for tuning in to the AFT Construction Podcast. It's hard to believe that we are now on episode 10. We've been fortunate to have some amazing guests these first 10 episodes. And today we host Renee D from Iconic Life, which is a digital luxury lifestyle magazine. And Renee has a strong background in marketing, magazines, print, social media. So we're super excited to host her and speak about how marketing can change your business. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levin, and I'm super excited because today we have Renee D with us. And welcome Renee. Thank you, Brad. So Renee is publisher of Iconic Life, and it's a digital life or luxury lifestyle magazine uh, that she's been working on for the last 18 months. And the reason we want to have Renee on is because she has a ton of knowledge in marketing. And that's her background. And she excels at marketing. And so, Renee, you've you've been around marketing for many years now a lot of experience so how has marketing changed today what should companies be doing today to market their business
1: oh my gosh that is the whole podcast right there um you know everything's changed. So I have marketed back in the days when we were all just buying, I mean, I've been in marketing since it, when we just bought our first cell phones. now everything marketing related is on our cell phones. I mean, it's unbelievable. I would say that everything's changed, you know. Back when I got started, we were placing advertising in newspapers and print magazines and we're utilizing radio and a good media buy included TV, six o'clock news. I mean, does anybody watch six o'clock news anymore? I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure it's still going on, right? But today, it's such a multi-channel approach that's happening. There's so much new technology on the scene. Social media has just been a game changer. Digital advertising has been um, a game changer, obviously with the advent of Google and Google AdWords, and Facebook is now on the scene with Instagram, and, um, and YouTube, and all the different things that we're working with, all these multi-channels. What's really changed in marketing, I think, is the ability to really find the target market that you want. So, gosh, 20 years ago, you know, we only wished that we could be so precise in our targeting of the audience that we're able to reach today.
0: So, um, so how would a company do that? I mean, you, you mentioned how things become digital and all these different platforms. So how does someone do more of a sniper approach?
1: So first of all, it it's more important than ever to start with your goals and know what your end target is and know what your end um, target audience is. Um, so what are you trying to accomplish? It's funny because there's some people that, um, maybe 10 years ago, uh, people would say, well, you know, should I be doing Facebook? I don't know, what's your goal? Who are you trying to reach? So until you can answer those fundamental questions, you, shouldn't impl- you should not deploy any tactics at all. You should know, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to reach? And then you can start taking a look at the individual channels to figure out how you're going to get there.
0: You know, I really like that, that strategy. So it's not so much, hey, you need to be on X, Y, and Z platform, whether it be TikTok that people are jumping on, or LinkedIn or Instagram. It's more what's your business demo, Mm -hmm. what's the age demo and all that. So when you're sitting down with a company to help them with their marketing strategy, how do you go about analyzing their strategy, as opposed to what platforms you wanna use.
1: Oh gosh, so the platforms are at the very end. I do marketing consulting for clients and we will spend an entire day, sometimes two days, on the whiteboard. Um, I am famous for being able to go through $100 worth of Post-It notes. I've got every size <laughs> and every configuration. We love Post-It. Yeah, and I just love getting all that up on the wall because when you start taking your whole marketing situation you put it on the wall, you can sometimes see trends that you weren't able to see. But again, it starts with the um, uh, and you've got to be careful in a strategy session, right? So some people will say, well, we've we've already done that before and it didn't work. Well, I want to diagnose the problem. Why didn't it work? It might actually be a great idea, but you just didn't deploy it properly. So it always starts with the big picture. Again, what's our product? What are our strengths? What do we want people to know us for? What do we want to be known for? You know, that's the most important thing. And then figure out who is the target that we want to reach and then once you identify all that, then you can figure out what you need to do. I had a client I was working with just recently and we were talking about this big, bold marketing strategy. We're gonna do Google, we're gonna do Facebook advertising, we're gonna do LinkedIn, we're gonna do everything. When we finally sat down and got strategic about it, we need to reach about 125 people and a very precise target. Guess what, LinkedIn's gonna kill it for us. Mm-hmm. We don't need to spend 10, $15,000 a month if we need to reach 125 people, then let's reach them one at a time, right? So when you understand your target, then you can hit them the right way.
0: No, that's really smart. You know, that's something that we found. It's, uh, you know, some of the platforms have been good for us. You know, Instagram and LinkedIn. And Instagram's been good because we can show our resume, you know, and it's a photo-driven, yep. you know, platform, which works in our building side. Whereas LinkedIn, to your point of view, you're targeting professionals. We're targeting certain doctors or realtors, certain people that are professionals that we're looking to associate with. But, you know, with LinkedIn, you have the ability where they can go on and they can do direct messaging, you know, and you can get in people's inbox on the email, which is really nice. Um,
1: So I love on LinkedIn. I love the fact that you can see who people are connected to. So, you know, maybe I'm looking to get to you, but I haven't met you yet, but I can take a look on LinkedIn of who you're connected to and maybe, you know, five, degrees of bread. Maybe I know somebody who knows you, and I'm going to be able to identify a warm introduction as opposed to just a cold introduction. Right,
0: because you have a mediator there who knows they can make that in- intro, so it's not just a cold call. Right. So, you know, what these platforms, are you using any platforms specifically that you have found to be the most successful with most of your clients, or does it really vary for every company?
1: Gosh, you know what it... it It varies. Um, Again, it all depends on what you're trying to do. One of the things about being somebody who's a marketing professional who's been doing this for a very long time, I don't always just deploy the very new tools. You know, I'm somebody who's not afraid to say, gosh, we just may have to mail a postcard. We just might have to do it. We don't do it very often. But I like to take a look at match the tactics with what the goals are. But um, specifically, you know, I think that the Facebook and Instagram advertising feel like they've been the most effective in being able to target, get to the right people, kind of, you know, screen out the people that you're not looking to reach. Um, you're reaching people in a very friendly platform. Google AdWords is good, but it's become so unbelievably um, competitive that you've really got to be prepared to set up a, a pr- Not always, but often it's very, very, very expensive if you want to do that well. I mean, it's great to say I'm going to throw a couple thousand at Google AdWords, but you may not get anything for that.
0: Yeah, it's really hard. You know, that's been one challenge for us is the SEO, right? The search engine optimization where you're searching for those Google AdWords through WordPress and through the website. It's really hard to continue to be at the top of the ranking and you can spend huge amounts of money. Whereas, as you're Mm -hmm. mentioning, you can maybe take some of those dollars and be a little bit more targeted, right? So like Mm -hmm. Facebook. And Instagram, they have capabilities where you can go in and if you want to publish a post and advertise it, then you can now start setting demographics, right? What age do you Mm -hmm. want, male or female, you know, price range, uh, you know, salary, income and all those different things that now we have the tools for. How, How has that evolved? Because now it's pretty easy at the tip of our finger to do that. How did you do that years ago before this
1: technology was here? It's almost laughable. By the way, before I answer that, I want to say something about LinkedIn, too. So when I've got a B2B client, I almost always start there first because I think LinkedIn is getting better and better, especially just lately. So that's another tool that I'm using a lot. Um, for iconic life, probably one of our biggest strategies is the SEO because we've got so much content that we're just driving people, driving people through that. So what did we do before? I mean, my goodness, um, we asked ourselves a lot of questions that we couldn't answer. Um, you know, I'm, this is I've been a magazine publisher before. I had a very successful publication here in the valley. and you know we would um, during our heyday of the the print magazine, we would mail it to seventy five thousand homes. And we'd go, there you go, and we'd tell our advertisers, we're reaching 75,000 homes. How many of those magazines got opened? I don't know. I think a lot because we got great results for our clients, so I know they were open, but did I get great results with 60,000 getting opened? Was it 50,000 getting opened? Did I get great results and 20,000 were opened? I have no idea. So I was operating in the dark. I just knew it worked, but I wasn't able to even understand exactly why. I mean, I was hitting the right target market, but to what extent are people opening it? So um, the questions that I wanted to answer back then are questions that I can answer today. So with all the digital marketing, I know exactly how many people have opened it. I know where they live when they open it. I know what time they open it. I know the demographics of them opening it. I mean, it's so precise. Because you're tracking it now
0: because a lot of yours are sent. You know, through through web, right? Most of it's online. It's either LinkedIn or online or web, email, and so you can track those analytics and see, you know, view times and you know how many people are seeing everything you're sending out. I know one thing that I really like about LinkedIn too, especially is that when I'm on LinkedIn and then I do a post, you know, I can click on, you know, the views of my post and I can see how many people have seen it and then where they're seeing it: New York, Houston, San Francisco, Phoenix. You know, I know the demos that are seen. I can see, you know, their their job title. So it's pretty amazing. It's a little bit more targeted posts. Like LinkedIn, we've been big fans of it. And I I would agree with you. I see that LinkedIn's really changed their platform. It's almost, you know, with their feed, it's a little bit more like a Facebook or Instagram. And you can get lost going through all the professionals and different posts. And it's not so political that maybe some of the other platforms have.
1: Yeah. So I love the fact that it's not political. And by the way, you are crushing it on LinkedIn. Almost (laughs) every day when I'm on LinkedIn, your post is probably the first one that I see, probably because I'm always liking it. So it's serving it up to the top of the feed. But I'm like... Gosh, Brad is crushing it on LinkedIn. I'm going to do a podcast and interview you just about LinkedIn.
0: (laughs) Well, what's funny about LinkedIn, it's, um, and and I've been asked, you know, we've been pretty fortunate where you kind of hit this little takeoff, which sometimes you do on some of these platforms. And it was probably about a year ago um, when, you know, I was typically getting, you know, five to eight likes like you'd get on LinkedIn. And then all of a sudden it just hit this um, this, uh, turning point and tipping point, if you will. And then it just, Now it's, you know, two, three, four hundred likes on everything and a lot of reach. And that, you know, I went out to LinkedIn conference. and It was interesting that they said, you know, that's fun to talk about here is a lot of companies that found a lot of success on LinkedIn is the video site. So we know on IG, Mm -hmm. on Instagram, you can get on and you can do stories and you can do videos. You know, Facebook has the same. You can go live and build that personality. But I found that a lot of people that are really successful on LinkedIn are posting those stories. And so what I've now transitioned to is the stories that I normally post on Instagram I'll post those on LinkedIn just as a normal feed you hmm. know to kind of just continue to build that personality right it's a great idea whether, whether my clients are in Phoenix or outside mm-hmm. at least you know they were a known entity for anyone that comes here but going back to that so you, you know Renee you've had so much experience in marketing um, so tell us how you got there I mean what's what's your background
1: Gosh, it's funny. So this is funny how I got there. So everybody's got the things that they do well and the things that they don't well do, don't do well. And I claim that I'm not good at math, which must have made me very good at something else, which I think was marketing. And I will tell you, at a very young age, um, I was a girl who was going up and down the street, you know, trying to sell the Girl Scout cookies, looking for the top numbers. Launched my first publication at the age of 12. I did a neighborhood newspaper. Did you really? I had the best name for it ever. Super localized. The wide world of news. <laughs> and I serviced my street. So we published birthdays and things that were happening on the street. But um, And I produced this newspaper on my little silly little typewriter at home. But um, I've always been interested in publishing and I've always been interested in marketing. When I was about... 14 or 15 babysitting had kind of gotten the best of me and this is back in the day when you could oversee about five kids for a buck an hour and I just did not like the economics of that. That just was not going to get me where I needed to go. So a friend of mine was doing light house cleaning for the neighbor ladies and so um, I thought well gosh that's great you know I can make $5 an hour Cleaning a house, that is a huge gain, right? Huge pay raise, right? So I start doing this, and I start cleaning houses in my neighborhood, but they're big, and they've got lots of kids, and kids make messes, and I thought, well, this isn't, this, I've not improved my situation, but all of a sudden it occurred to me, if I just got on my 10 speed and I rode up the street, there were these very expensive carriage homes, you know, where there are like four homes, two on the bottom, Mm -hmm. two on the top. Um, in this neighborhood, it was a whole neighborhood of carriage homes, and they were extraordinarily high-priced. Like, you'd even call them very overpriced, and they were very, very small. So that told me two things. I had a high-end demographic that had money to spend. They were very small, so there weren't kids living in there. And to afford these places, you probably had two people working all day long, so they weren't home. So I took my little flyers down the street in the first target marketing effort that I had ever done, and went and marketed myself to clean these houses, and it was the best. It was the best thing ever because I spent my entire summer cleaning little clean houses <laughs> and and made made money for college doing it. So you've
0: always been entrepreneur. Yeah. So how? I mean, before we get into the marketing, you know, how does was that always the case? Because entrepreneurs, I mean, it is a really tough life to so be an entrepreneur. I think most people. Are. It is. So was that? <laughs> it sounds like it was innate in you that you always want to be an entrepreneur.
1: It was an eight, and I don't know why, because um, my parents had jobs, and I did. I can't think of anybody that I had as a model that was modeling this entrepreneurship. I just sort of have always been more of kind of an idea girl, and I'd have an idea, and I would pursue it, and it just kind of got me to this place of being very entrepreneurial. I've spent only just a couple years of my entire life ever working for somebody. But you're right, entrepreneurship—it's a—it's a rough life. Um, uh, but you win big. You can, gosh, you work a lot. Um, but it's also extraordinarily satisfying and at least for me i love the flexibility of it and i like the ability to be i'm as as adept and agile as i could possibly be i make a decision and it's happening right away right but i think it takes um a special personality there's a lot of people that don't want to do it there is and it's (laughs) funny i I
0: read an article about entrepreneurship and it talked about that uh you know the highs and lows and it changes by like five minutes throughout the day right that it seems you know you know, at noon you could be on top of the world, like everything's going great, company's good, projects are good, you know, publication's great, and then uh, by 12:15 you're like, oh, you know. Ten issues come up that you got to resolve, and that's the hard part, right? It's that mentality
1: dealing with that stress. You know, I think part of it too is surrounding yourself with a good team. So I've got a great team, and I've got certain values that I've come to expect of myself and of my team. That we are, you know, very positive. We're very encouraging, um, very supportive. I've got a team that's really very good at working independently. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you've got to have other people. If you don't want to manage people, you've got to have people that can manage themselves. So,
0: so how, how do you do that? How do you find good people?
1: Oh, that's another one. Oh, good questions today. Um, Finding good people is you got to spend enough time with them and you've got to ask some some deep questions and you've got to test them a little bit. And at the end of the day for me, it's always um, kind of a gut feeling, believe it or not. Anybody can fudge a recommendation. Anybody can tell you a story in an interview. You've just got to kind of feel that you've got somebody who's got shared values. I also spend time in an interview talking about what would get somebody fired. Um, Here are the things that I here are the things that I would tolerate. So I usually because I want people to self select out. If I'm interviewing somebody, I want them to really want to work with me and my team, and I want to give them reasons to say, "Oh, you know what? That would not be the kind of workplace that I want to be in, or that would not be, you know, the culture that I'm looking for." And so, um, you know, because I want them to say no before I hire them. I mean, if they're not a thousand percent in and excited and charged up. I don't. I don't want to spend all the time to train them and bring them on. I want somebody that's really exciting. So some people think when you're interviewing, it's a sales job that you're selling somebody to come on board with you. I'm going to lay out the good, bad, and the ugly because if that scares you away, thank goodness. You know, thank goodness you didn't take my job. Um, by the way, I think um, I've got an incredible work environment, and I know I have an amazing team. So really great people. Um, but you know it you need like-minded people with shared values
0: so how do you do that so as you're sitting in an interview and you're doing that mutual interview which it should be right it's Mm -hmm. not just hey sales come work for me as you're mentioning so is there certain expectations you're set with them like You know, I I expect, uh, you know, certain work hours or this type of personality, There's delivery. I mean, are you setting that expectation from the front for them to commit to?
1: You know, in order to work together as a team, you've got to have some boundaries, right? You've got to have some uh, expectations for people as far as what hours are. But I talk a lot about I'm willing to offer a lot of flexibility. At the end of the day, I want everybody to be responsible for what they're responsible for, be excited about what they're doing, bringing new ideas to the table and executing very well. And if they make a mistake, I always say, if you make a mistake, run, don't walk to my office. Because the faster you get here, the faster we can solve it. If you're the person who's going to make a mistake and hide it under the desk or you're going to lie about the mistake, by the way, that happens to be one of the best ways to get fired. <laughs> um, so if you make a mistake and you run to me with it, then okay, then we'll solve it together. We'll figure it out. But um just don't hide it, and 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 be honest. Be super transparent. If you make a mistake, say, "Gosh, sorry," um, and then give it your best. You know, that's really that's those that's what the expectations are, and and be good to the other members of the team because they're all important to me.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, you make a, a few good points there. One of them, you know, be good to the members of the team, right? Because if you have that culture, if you have people get along and like their, their work family, you know, everyone has a personal family or after hours. But if you enjoy coming to work with the people you work with, it's going to make that a lot yeah. more fun. Yeah. And then the second thing you talk about, you know, as there's mistakes, run and address those right away. Because all of us starting a company, running a company, you make mistakes, there's errors, there's things that go south or maybe relationships with certain clients that you wish you could have, Hey, if I'd have known this, I could have done this a little bit better. Um, So how have you used those mistakes to then, you know, become positives as, you know, you're teaching your team or with the clients and repairing those relationships? Do you have any experiences where that's...
1: All the time. You know what? um, First of all, the important thing to realize is as business owners, as entrepreneurs, we're making as many, if not more mistakes than our team, right? So it starts by being kind of humble about that. And when you make a mistake gosh, guys, sorry, that's on me. You know what, that that was my mistake. Or if something goes bad, well, you know what, I was behind that one, that was me. Um, that wasn't somebody else. I'm not looking to throw somebody under the bus when I'm the one who's made a mistake. But I usually always um, phrase it from a standpoint of, all right, so let's talk about how this could go next time. So it's not just, you know, we've made a mistake, it's okay, let's correct it. What are our steps gonna be? And. What can we do next time so we don't step into this? And I've got a couple of young team members and we've had that conversation many times. You know, what would you do next time? How would you, you know, are you open to hearing from me? Here's some perspective of something that I might do. Um, Here's some ideas on how you could deal with this next time. And you've got to really use them as teaching moments. And by the way, I think you've got to use them as teaching moments for yourself too. Um, There is a book that I'm reading right now that is probably one of the best business books. I think I put it on LinkedIn if I didn't, it's gonna go up here shortly. Um, one of the best business books I've read in a long time, and it's called The Road Less Stupid. And I don't like the word stupid, but it is, it's the smartest book I've read just in the last couple of years. And it's very short chapters talking about the obvious mistakes that entrepreneurs make. And in his forward, he says, well, you're gonna, you may identify some of these. I read the first chapter, I'm like, oh, bingo. Yeah, (laughs) made that one. Um, But it's not bad to make mistakes. It's bad to not learn from them yeah. and improve what you're doing. Making the same mistake again and again, that's not smart.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's such good advice. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I love to read and listen to podcasts, and you're always seeking ways to have that continuing education. And that's a book I'm going to check out because as an entrepreneur myself and business owner, you know, there's a lot of things that we could do better and that I'm always seeking to, to network with like-minded professionals such as yourself mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, how do we avoid some of these pitfalls and how do we deal with some of these issues as they come up? And, um, you know, from a building side, uh, you know, I was fortunate to join this Builder 20 group and we're 20 builders across the country. We don't compete, but we get together twice a year and we share uh, building knowledge and we share financials and we share about how to better our business. Right. And it's helped us become a better company yeah. here in Phoenix, which is which yep. is really great. So um, but getting back to, to your background, so you've so Renee, as you fast forward, entrepreneur, you start this incredible magazine super successful still running right still mm-hmm. out there yep, in, proud of really that well. <laughs> And you built that and you know so now you move on. So what you know what as an entrepreneur what and you've built something and you have this creativity how do you release that and now start a new venture?
1: Release the old and go to the new yeah
0: like what makes you want to say okay, <laughs> I've done this, I've conquered this now I'm ready for the next chapter.
1: Gosh, you know what? I don't know. I think that must be the quirky thing about entrepreneurs because I'm always looking for the next highest mountain. You know, if you did it well once, then you just want to do it better the next time. and I'm always I'm really inspired by new ideas, and I, I could probably start twenty businesses a year. I mean, if I had the time or the resources to do it because I will be just, you know, sitting on my back patio at night and I'll think about something in, in one of my clients' businesses, and I'm like,, oh, Oh my gosh! I've got this great idea. Um, so I'm full of ideas. So I'm just glad that I can stick with one at a time at this point. <laughs> Which is awesome. So, but iconic.
0: I mean, yeah. This is a, an amazing production that you're doing. You know, it's, you Thank know. You. So tell us a little bit more about that program and that you know, you know that whole company that.
1: So it's, it's really, really interesting. So um, when I finished my time at the first magazine that I created, you know, that was a, it was a moment, right? So you leave something that is, you know, people would say, gosh, it's like your baby. Well, it's not like your baby because your baby's like your baby. But um, it was an interesting transition to leave that because it's what I knew so well and it was just so natural to me. So I moved into my marketing agency, which I've done for about the last 15 years, but I always had in the back of my mind, oh my gosh, I could start another magazine overnight, right? But do you wanna do that? Can you do it better? Can you do it different, uh, differently? And I never, acted on any of those ideas because I hadn't had one that I thought, gosh, this is profoundly better than the last one, or this is profoundly more innovative than the last one, because we did some innovative things in the, in the first one. And so I really took my time not starting another magazine for several years, thinking about how can I make this something for the future, something that's gonna take advantage of the technologies that are out there. Um, You know, the whole thing about print, how long is that gonna last? I don't know, I don't think it's it's dead, but I don't think it is anywhere near what it used to be. And so I knew that I didn't wanna start a new venture with like the old school way of doing it. So I really waited until I could test my theories about creating that high-end audience before I took the plunge. So I waited. It's almost like I was waiting off to the sidelines, just waiting for the little secrets I needed to create it. And literally we tested a few ideas on some of my high-end clients. The second I saw what I needed to see that proved to me that I could create this online high-end audience, we launched a magazine in 90 days. I saw it and I'm like, we're doing this. Told the team, we're doing this. They're like, when are we launching? Like 90 days. They're like, what? I said, we know how to do this. We know how to do this. We could probably do it faster than that. And we just sat down, we got to work, we got on the whiteboard, we laid it out, we did everything, the branding, the design. We knew how to do it. And it came 90 days, 90 days from idea to to launch.
0: So, you know, something that fast where you come up with a strategy, 90 days, well, anything you have to have leads, right? That lead generation, you know, clients and customers and, you know, that are participating in, in your publications. So how, you know, how have you, done that, what's been your target approach?
1: So it's interesting. Something isn't something until it is. And if you're publishing a digital magazine, it isn't a magazine until it is. So we kind of had to do a different strategy than we did the first time because we weren't able to do a ton of front loading because we were almost like selling air, right? Oh, it's going to be this and it's going to be that and it's going to look like this. But we were building it while we were selling it. And so it was almost like we just had to get on the map and just just launch it. Just launch it so people could see it and feel it um, and understand it. And that's really where the sales came. I had a few sales going into it because I've got amazing friends who are incredibly supportive. But for the most part, we had to kind of come out of the ground and show people what it was uh, before they could do it. So um, we were were rolling. We were into full expenses. We were into full production mode as we were kind of like starting that process, if it makes sense. And by the way, on day one of the magazine, what was our circulation? I mean, like 10 people, right? Me, my mother, <laughs> my staff. So we started there. So we, but when people say you built from nothing, we built from, really nothing. built from nothing. We Because in the digital world, zero is what you have when you get started. And then you just watch it grow.
0: Well, so many of us have seen, you know, digital, like companies come in with that mindset to do a digital magazine or digital marketing. And not have a lot of success. How did you turn that corner? Because you've had a ton of success with that. Whereas a lot of companies have even in this uh, this market where everything's going digital, they've had challenges. So what's,
1: you know, um, with all due respect, a lot of people think that just because they know how to get on their Facebook account and push the boost button, they think they know what they're doing and that it takes a lot of learning. So when this whole marketing thing, something about me, when this whole marketing thing started going in the digital direction, I was honestly at risk about seven or eight years ago of becoming um, completely, um, uh, what's the word, extinct. Extinct in my field. My area of expertise is marketing, and I was about to have my area of expertise pass me by if I didn't get step in and get educated and take a ton of classes and get learning and get talking to people who knew what they needed to know. I would have just watched my marketing career pass me by because if you haven't been immersed in ongoing, continuous education over the last seven or eight years, you're left behind. So um, everything I do, I like to do well. So I didn't just say, "Oh well," have somebody's you know, college kids show me how to do Facebook marketing, worked with the top agencies, worked with the top people. I go to New York, I'm part of some of the magazine publishing associations because I wanna be the smallest, least experienced person in the room. When I'm learning, I want everybody in that room smarter than me. And so I put myself in situations where the people around me are absolute rock stars and I've gotta come up to their level and learn what they're learning. And so the last eight years has been an extraordinary time of. continuous education otherwise i would be not doing what i'm doing today i wouldn't know how to do it
0: (laughs) well what's fascinating about what you just said is um there's another book as we've been talking about books and it's called shut up and listen right Uh it's from a real successful entrepreneur and he said you know the the problem is so many people want to speak but they don't surround themselves with very successful people and just listen right digest as much as you can and you've taken that strategy um so how you know, as as you've built this digital marketing, like you have a look that's very unique, and I think that's part of your success. So what should companies be looking at as they're doing their social media and they're doing their marketing? Is there a certain look? Is there a certain aesthetic? Uh, you've found that, you've networked, you've been in New York, you've seen that. So uh-huh. what have you seen that differentiates companies as well as yourself with just the look?
1: Well, by the way, and you do this very well, you're very on brand for yourself, and I think I'm very on brand for myself. So the mantra of Iconic Life is to live beautifully. So um, I need to showcase that lifestyle with beautiful imagery, with high quality photography. And if I'm gonna be a digital magazine, that's a rich media experience, I've gotta have beautiful photography. Ugly images, crappy, cheap images, blurry images, low quality images, just completely destroy it. So we hold ourselves to a very high aesthetic value which um, in the digital world, a lot of people are like, well, it's a photo, it's a photo. I mean, I still use photographers, you know, the ones that cost a lot of money. Yeah. I still use them, um, not use them, I work with them because there still is a such thing as a good photo. And when we do photo shoots, there's some people that say, oh, I could whip through that in 30 minutes. I mean, good luck getting it right. You know, even if you're doing a flat lay, it takes time. You got a test shot. You got to just be... You've got to be intentional about it. And so... Um, well, you get what you
0: pay for, right? You get what you pay
1: for. And and you've got to have, you know, I've, I think I have a good visual eye for things that I like and I can identify beautiful imagery. So beautiful imagery that goes with beautiful words. But for other businesses, what's my advice there? Be on brand for you. Know what's on brand for you. I know that I'm going after a high-end market. I know that I want to be, again, talking about living a beautiful life. And what does that mean? It means not political, not negative not ugly, not yucky, all that stuff, um, but just to be on brand, you know. For you, you are showcasing um, innovation and in design. You're showcasing current design. You're showcasing design trends. You're showcasing innovation and in building technologies. And your brand, to me, I understand what you do and at what level just by looking at the pictures. If I never read a word of anything that you've said, I know what you do. And so, from a, an imagery standpoint. You know, anybody who's looking to create something for their company, be consistent and, and build something where people know what you do without you having to explain it for half an hour.
0: Well, I think what's great, it's funny, you've actually put it in words and now I understand because <laughs> I've never heard, you know, be on brand. I've never heard it said that way because when we were starting our social media and that was a way to differentiate ourselves, uh, there were some mentors I had and they said, you know, you need to create some selling points, if you will, what is, what is it that you want AFT to be known as? And you know, so we, you know, one of my things was site cleanliness, you know, how many builders yeah. keep a clean site? That's one of our targets, you know, to be known for that, to be known for, you know, the quality and the communication and,
1: mm-hmm. and, and
0: that's, so those are the things, but what, you know, it's a different spin, be on brand and, and really as a company to think, okay, well, what is my brand? What is it that I'm selling? What is it that I want people to know right. me for? And then stay, make sure all my posts represent that as well as photography and imagery. And I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of companies, you know, as I've seen, there's, you know, having an eye for construction being in it my whole life, Mm -hmm. I'll go through people's pages or like website and they have some amazing projects, like some of the most amazing projects I've ever seen, yet their imagery is so bad. And I'm like, if they had good photography, they would be crushing it, you know, and I just don't understand that.
1: Yeah. And also to know, so I've seen people, so the whole grid aesthetic, right? Everybody's talking about, you know curate the grid so that it looks really beautiful. You know, there's something to that. Our Instagram grid is becoming the new website, right? People are probably more likely today to go to our Instagram grid than to go to a business's website. So you want that that grid to be beautiful and pleasing across the board. As we all know that not every photo plays well together, right? Don't put two conflicting photos next to each other and don't have a whole bunch of beautiful home photos and then have a crazy little grip and grin, smiley, silly, you know, photo that just doesn't, flow with the rest of it you know just think of it as your you know your Instagram it's a canvas and you're you're painting a picture of who you are and what you want people to see and then use the Instagram stories for the, for the fun stuff for the fun stuff yeah I
0: think that's good advice you know that you know for your feed should be clean should be you know certain things you're targeting then yeah stories you know and you know I've, I've seen a lot of successful companies I mean it's funny because the one tough thing is with that is that sometimes you'll post like a family picture and you'll get some of your biggest traffic on that yeah but as a company, you know, we found that if you're doing that in stories where people can kind of see the daily living and then your feed's more professional, it seems to have more traction yeah. for some
1: reason. My, I, yeah, my social media team just always talks about make the stories real. She's like, don't ever think about, you know, what do you look like this day or where are you whatever. She's like, just take it. Just be real and be in the moment. And it's, it's hard to kind of get into that groove because people think, well, I want to take a really nice picture. It's like, no, just take something real.
0: I love that so. because <laughs> one of the big... Uh, issues a lot of companies have getting on the social media platform and doing videos and so like I don't like how I sound on camera I don't like how I look on camera they uh-huh. feel you know have to do 10 takes um but I think that's great advice so you just get out there you know what not every day is going to be your best day you know from a, a an appearance standpoint and maybe you're you know there's chaos going in on you know throughout your life but if you can get on and just be yourself I think people can relate to that right people yeah wanna, people want to do business with people they relate to and believe in and uh, have that personality so how, how do you show that, Renee? I mean, from your side, you've, you know, you have this amazing personality and this great company. I mean, how are you showcasing that to build Iconic Life?
1: Uh, so my Iconic Life Instagram is much better than my personal Instagram. You know how they say that the uh, shoemaker's kids has, <laughs> have no shoes. So I'm actually working on that. You know, it's it is actually kind of an inside job, right? So it's about having a conversation with yourself on the inside about saying, hey, look, you know what? Nobody's perfect, so get over trying to, like, appear that way. I'm not afraid to laugh at myself. I actually think I'm really funny. I make a lot of mistakes, and I like to laugh at them, and I like to try to at least make them light because if you can't laugh at them, you'd probably cry, and I really don't want to do that. So um, it's, um, you know, I, I really come from a very happy place, and I'm surrounded by happy people, and I do things that make me happy, and with every year of my life, I try to edit out those things that are, um, that don't make me happy, that feel obligatory or whatever. And when you start kind of living your life that way, it just, the days are just better. And so I think, I don't know, I I think that's the energy that's maybe coming out in, in what I'm doing. Well, there's a lot of value (laughs) to smile and happiness,
0: right? And it's, you know, it's, uh, people can relate to that, right? When they see that it inspires them. So how do you keep a work-life balance? I mean, as you're running a company. And you're building a company and you're an entrepreneur. I me, mean, how do you keep that work-life balance?
1: You know what? I think it's completely unbalanced. Um, what I know is what my priorities are. So people, th- th- whatever this fictional thing is, and I know that there's people out there that are doing this work-life balance, I think sometimes you're working too much, sometimes you're not working enough, whatever that is. Um, I look at it, what are my priorities? My priorities are first and foremost, my son. So if I've got a meeting, no matter what's going on, the phone rings and he needs me, well, everything stops and that may not be how everybody does it but that's how i do it. so um i really am a mom first and i focus on that. now do these phone calls sometimes completely and totally destroy my day? yeah, lately they do. and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's crazy. i've got to get some work done, but i know that i'm doing the thing that's the most important, which is taking care of him. um Second is health is really important to me. And so I've got to be living a healthy life. I've got to be working out. I've got to be exercising. Um, therefore, I try not to take meetings when I am scheduled to be at the gym because I need to be at the gym because that's going to make me better for the rest of the day. Um, so I think what it is, it's more than, more than having a balance. It's just knowing um, the things that um, keep you healthy and good for yourself and good for others.
0: What I love how you said that because most people, when you talk about work life balance, you're trying to figure out all these different things. Where you've taken the mindset to say, "What are my priorities?" You know, I have, I have personal priorities, I have family priorities, I have work priorities. Mm-hmm. You know, and every day they change. You know, you have your, your ABCD list, and so you're organizing those by what you know what's most important, and you know that's given me inspiration how I can reevaluate some things in my life, right? With my family and company, I mean, there's some things that I need to prioritize and change. So Renee, how do you, speaking about priorities, how do you prioritize your work day?
1: So I like to start my day um, at home, thinking about what needs to happen, so um, that, first cup of coffee, quite honestly, I I try to, so I mentioned to you about this book. So a phrase that I like is thinking time, and I know that I need thinking time. So in the morning, my brain is racing and it's thinking. So I try to take the first part of the day to capture in notes what are some of the things that I'm thinking about, because that's kind of a rich time where my brain is thinking of ideas, things I need to remember. And then what I do is I write all that down. And when it, when I first sit at my desk, which, I mean, if I wake up, I mean, sometimes I start very early. I work from home most days. I've got tons of appointments out in the world, but if I wake up at five and I wanna start at five and I'm on my own, I'm gonna start at five. Um, But what I do is I start out with an MIT list, um, most important things. And so I've got a little post-it note that's about this big, so my list can't get long, right? I've got a legal pad that sits over here of everything that I think of that I need to do, but I don't know a human being that can get a legal pad worth of stuff done per day. However, I start my day saying, what are the three or four things that I have to get done today no matter what meaning if it takes me till 10 o'clock at night i'm not stopping till these things are done these are like they're potentially emergencies they're deadlines they're ultra critical they're they have to get done the have to get done the have to get done's um are best done first right so i sit down and figure out what are my mit's and then i knock those off first and those might take me a couple hours they might take me the entire day but I work very hard not to get to the the legal pad of stuff until I get through the MIT's. Now let's be realistic. My phone is ringing all the time and I was talking to somebody on my team yesterday. I said, oh my gosh, I said, this is crazy. I have my text messages open on my screen. I've got my email open and I'm on a conference call. I said, I think I'm in three conversations at one time right now. So not saying that that doesn't happen, uh, but I really try to just prioritize what has to get done today.
0: So do you answer every call?
1: So I, I do, I answer, I do like to answer every call. So I'm in sales, right? So I'm calling clients and I don't know what number they're going to call me back on. So
0: you have to be available.
1: I'm trying to reach Brad (laughs) and I don't know what number he's going to call me on. So I better pick up everything um, because you never know when, you know, when it's a client on the line. Um, frustrating that there's an abuse of our cell phones today where there's sales a lot calls of
0: solicitors. so
1: i'm getting all of those but yeah. I, I answer every call because i always my phrase is money on the line that's amazing <laughs> yeah.
0: oh i think that's a great strategy you know i think sometimes i find myself when you're talking about priority where you're trying to just get in and okay, I have an hour i got to knock this out and you're putting anything on quiet or do not disturb but there's an advantage to taking every call because there could be something you miss. Yeah. Right? But I love... I've never heard that term, MIT, most important things. I've never heard that. That's why yeah, I'm good Yeah, MITs. At. Yeah. And your strategy almost reminds me... I remember when I was in college, I read a book, you know, The Seven Habits of Highly oh, yeah, People, right? Stephen
1: Covey. Yeah, Stephen Favorite. Covey. And
0: it's um, it's almost the same strategy where you have your your checklist. And I, I, I like that strategy where you're taking your post-it note, which are the things that have to get done. And then you have your legal pad with the majority of things that all of us have, you know, the hundred items that you can check off as they come, you know, or priority. So, you know, what are some of the things that, um, that take your day? I mean, you're in sales and you're building a company and you're running staff. So what are some of the things that you're pursuing now to build iconic life?
1: So I'm also overseeing full editorial and I'm overseeing big projects and events and connecting and are you writing these
0: editorials or are Um, you
1: outsourcing that? I outsource almost all of it. Um, I write some of it. I love to write. In a perfect world, I would be living beautifully if I could write a couple of stories a month. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. What I look at is, am I holding the team back by hanging on to this one story? And sometimes you just have to have to um, give it to the freelancers who are amazing. Um, I've got, you know, Author, uh, ex- subject matter experts in different areas that do a really great job with, with our content. But I read and approve everything before it goes. I look at every image before it goes up. But you know, one of the things that is critical for me to get through my day, and boy, I was not good at this twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, I had that that old fashioned thing of if you want it done right, you better do it yourself. Boy, that's a good way to ensure that you are working twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. When you have an awesome team, which I have, and when you have got great people who are good at what they do and responsible and everything, you've got to empower them to make decisions. So I like to, to, you know, I'll get the question, well, how do you want this to be? You know what? I want you to make that decision. I support that. Or, you know, I'm seeing something like this. Why don't you take it and run with it? Do you need to look at it before it goes? I don't. You know, you just have to make some of those tough decisions to say, you just make a judgment call on that. I don't super micromanage things because, in publishing, everybody's in a row, right? This person does it, then it hands off to this person to here, to here, to here. I could be the person that could throw this whole thing off. They could be working perfectly, but if I've got to micromanage them, I could completely destroy the process. So there's certain measures and marks where they know they can they can move forward. Um,
0: I love that too because empower. I found that the most successful companies are those that learn to empower, right? That as yeah. You know, they always say as an entrepreneur or business owner that you should be delegating and empowering your staff in whatever field you're in, you know, to build that brand, build that success, build the projects, build the clientele, you know, build the publishing. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas you can focus
1: on the organization and you can focus on sales and marketing or whatever you're doing as the business owner. You were also asking me what I'm doing to move things forward from a sales standpoint with clients. I have got to be out and about. I've got to be meeting new people. And by the way, this is what I love. So if you, what really makes Renee's day, and even, you know, the first time you and I met, I walked out of here, I'm like, oh my gosh, that felt great. That was a great meeting. Wonderful. You know, so meeting new people is very exciting for me and it inspires something in me. Um, I'm a real cheerleader of of people. And so when I hear somebody doing something well, I'm like, Ah, oh, that's incredible. Um, so that really fires me up. So being out in a in a sales role or whatever, um it's really just connecting with people, and it's offering a solution to something they've got. If I was selling, like full- on hard selling, just just selling, I wouldn't enjoy it, and I don't think my clients would either. So I'm more out there looking to find, What needs to be solved here? So if I meet you, do you have something that needs to be solved that I can solve? Maybe yes, maybe no. If I've got a solution, great. If I don't, maybe you'll introduce me to somebody who needs the solution I have.
0: Well, you're doing a few things. You're building a network. You know, you're building relationships. You're building, you know, a silent salesman. People that are gonna, you know, speak good about you and your brand and what you're doing as a company. And then you're bringing value. As you bring value to people, then that value is reciprocated, and Mm -hmm. you know that reciprocity. And you're you're building that network. And I love that. I think most companies kind of lose that vision to get out and expand their network and meet new people and whether they be networking events or you meet at the office or you know there's so many different ways to do that.
1: So it's funny what you're saying about building the network so this is I'll, I'll leave it at this this is a great way to to wrap this up so um, in the last 30 years as I've been marketing and publishing there's a ton of amazing clients that I've had that have been like super favorites of mine right just people who have supported my career that have been my cheerleader that have been incredible 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 I've been doing this long enough that I'm now working with some of their kids. And so what's funny is as far as meeting new people, I'm meeting people that I watched grow up. And you know what? I am loving working with them too. That's amazing.
0: So you so you've hired some of the kids of former clients and people that you've worked with. Yeah, in or, years past. or I'm
1: or I'm marketing advertising too. It used to be dad, but now it's son. I'm like, Who's oh, my taking gosh, over is crazy. The company. Yeah, That's but um, it's been really cool because there's a lot of kind of that younger generation that I'm working with. Super smart people that I am learning from too.
0: That's amazing. Well, how can we find you, Renee? Thank you for making time to come on. So, how can our guests find you?
1: Iconiclife.com.
0: And, and then the my social media, yeah, what are my, your handles for social media? So
1: your iconic life across the board. So, you know, we are found at your iconic life. That's for Facebook, Instagram. Um, Renee Layman D is my LinkedIn. And stay tuned for my podcast, probably debuting end of November. That's exciting. Probably featuring Brad. Well, that's exciting. <laughs>
0: well, thanks again, Renee, for joining us. And thank all of you for tuning in. A big thanks to Renee for joining us today on the AFT Construction Podcast. And as a continuation of the marketing topic that we discussed, we're going to bring on Derek Wozencraft of Wolf Sub-Zero and we also discuss marketing and how they use that at Wolf Sub-Zero and also some of the technology and features that set them apart from their competitors in the market.